We're going to start today's conversation with Yanai Oron, General Partner of Vertex Ventures. Yanai, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Welcome from uh, Tel Aviv. Tell us a bit about uh, Vertex. Tell us about yourself. Let's introduce you to our audience and, and also let's get to know you. Sure. So uh, as for me, I uh, started as uh, I uh, lived my own life pretty much in Israel. Uh, I grew up in Israel. I uh, was an uh, electrical engineer and worked for uh, Intel for a couple of years, uh, working here in their Israeli R&D center, um, which is pretty big. And then uh, when I wanted to switch to the business world, I uh, wanted to live in New York, so I went to uh, study at NYU at Stern, uh, and I uh, did my MBA there, after which I worked for a, um, a mid-stage startup doing business development and then management role. And uh, uh, during the time I lived in New York for about seven years, and uh, around uh, 2010, I uh, decided to go back to Israel uh, and uh, be back with my friends and family. And uh, this is also when I started to go into venture. So uh, I started as a small angel investor. Um, this, these were, in hindsight, very good years to be an angel investor. It was still, uh, you know, not a lot of people wanted to invest, but these were Probably the best startups were founded then, so I had quite a nice fortune to invest in some interesting startups. And about three, four years later, I joined Vertex um, uh, as, a, as a partner. Uh, Vertex is a 20-year-old fund based in Israel, um, uh, and uh, we are an early-stage fund uh, managing around $150 million U.S. each uh, cycle, investing in early stage, which is a general word for, you know, uh, anywhere between uh, large seeds up to small B rounds. Um, the unique thing about Vertex is, except the fact that uh, we are a standalone fund in Israel, Vertex itself is a network of funds, uh, Vertex Israel being one of them, but also there's four others in major uh, hubs of innovation throughout the world. So there's one in Silicon Valley, uh, one in uh, China, one in mm -hmm. Singapore that invests in Southeast Asia and India as well. Uh, mm -hmm. which means that we have a presence in most places of innovation throughout the world uh, or similarly uh, grow a similar in size uh, funds, each investing in its own locale, uh, specializing in what the local scene has to offer. Mm -hmm. And um, when you say you like to invest in seed, um, can you define what is a reasonable a set of proof points or validation that you're looking for before you're willing to put in money in a company? Sure. So actually, um, it's important to say that we're pretty flexible on, on, and we don't do only seed. So our, our sweet spot is a $150 million fund. I guess in the U.S. or in China, that would be a seed fund. For us in Israel, because uh, the market is actually smaller, that's a typical A-round company. Mm -hmm. uh, even though the the you know today uh, the boundaries are getting more uh, you know, less uh, uh, strenuous, so our sweet spot is probably A round, okay. But we uh, more and more see ourselves doing some uh, going uh, um, upstream and doing earlier rounds. Um, on on one one hand, simply to get you know a significant percentage uh, at the company mm -hmm. before it gets very expensive, but also yeah. because I think today. What we're seeing in Israel, and it's probably similar to some other place in the world, but uh, we would not do a small seed. So if a company raises half a million or a million, if it's a B2C, if it's an internet, um, something that you can get a proof of concept uh, fairly easy and get some traction, 
that's probably not where we are best at. That we would leave that to angels or or actual seed funds, which in Israel usually are 30 to 70 million uh, US. Uh, we would participate in seed, and that can be just an idea if we uh, really know the founder or believe that they are very strong founders. We are very comfortable uh, investing in the uh, presentation uh, phase. Uh, yeah. So just an idea, but a market that, but a market that we're really confident on, but also, yeah. uh, but also where there's deep technology to be developed. So it's not something you can develop in three to six months and get an MVP out. It's usually something that takes a year or so, depending on uh, what kind of technology. And then we would make sure that the company has at least two to three million. And sometimes we also participate in seeds of six to nine million. Uh, enough money for the company to, one, develop the product, and number two, get some initial traction so they're ready for the next round. And in which case, we usually would partner, we would sometimes partner with other funds or angels. So it's interesting because um, actually your comment that uh, in, in the U.S. your fund would be called a seed fund is not correct. I think in the U.S. also, 150 million fund is still a Series A fund, uh, seed Series A fund, but it's a small, it's a fund that is structured to be able to make smaller Series A's because a lot of the traditional venture funds in uh, in the U.S. right now are so large, their Series A will need to be a 5 million to 10 million Series A, and that's, to get there, you really have to, that's, you know, in the traditional terms, that's a Series B or Series C company. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As a result, there is a lot of smaller funds that have come into the market who are willing to do the smaller Series A, the 1 million, 2 million, 3 million Series A's, and that's more where you are positioned, it seems. Well, actually, so I, I think just, just to comment on that, and I, once again, I think the definitions that get so uh, different also between geographies, but also, um, so, so we actually see a Series A as something that is 5 to 7 million, but we've gone to see some Series A that are 12 to 20 million, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and more and more often we see seeds of this nature. So it's a little bit confusing. So uh, it's hard to really say what's seed and not. And it's not about really the money. It's about which, uh, you know, what's your target? What, what area are you focused on? Is, is, uh, are you getting to, are you, can you do something within three or six months or do you need to develop something that will take you a year? Yeah. Well, and I, the, the other corollary of that conversation, audience, is that it's very difficult as a first-time entrepreneur to get people to write big checks. So if people are looking for entrepreneurs they know, people are looking for entrepreneurs who have done it before. If you're a serial entrepreneur with track record, you may, may be able to get money to build something from investors. But if you're a first-time entrepreneur, that's a very long shot. So just be aware of that as you plan your uh, funding. CNI, um, let's talk about market segments. Where do you like to invest? What markets are of interest? B2B, B2C, both? Um, what parts of, you know, those? Let's dive deep dive a little bit into the markets. Sure. So we are generally a B2B um, uh, play. Uh, and I would say our investments are about um, you can you can put them in two major buckets. The first bucket is um, can be categorized as enterprise software, and within that we include all the classic enterprise software, so marketing technology, sales technology, infrastructure, 
Uh, Israel has some very interesting infrastructure uh, companies to come out of yes. it, uh, storage, um, uh, Security. You know, cloud infrastructure, and, and, and cyber obviously is a big one, um, and that's also under enterprise software, and that would be probably a half of our investment. And really, that if you look at Israel, it's kind of what's the bread and butter in Israel is, is those teams. Uh, main reason for that is because we have anywhere between two to two, two to three hundred multinational companies who set up an R&D um, uh, facility here. So a lot of Israelis who have gone through either MBAs or worked through these companies, they understand the culture and they understand kind of what it takes to create this, the next generation of whether it's storage, cyber, or, uh, or marketing technology. Obviously, cyber, we also, um, you know, have a unique uh, set of skills because uh, our army uh, creates a lot of technologies okay. which can later be on the use. So that's the enterprise software. But um, I think uh, more and more the other half of the investment we make are kind of emerging sectors, uh, which in the past were always kind of a one-off. Uh, but today we see uh, um, uh, different areas that have become really interesting for startups. And those would be, I mean, some would, are already kind of at their biggest hype cycles, like automotive, to some extent insurance technologies. Um, and We've, we've been very active with those in the past, and those have paid very well for us. As well. um, but and now we're kind of looking for the next stage, and uh, including agriculture technologies, um, retail technologies. We're starting to look at construction technologies, and the main area, and the main characteristics around those investments is, is companies that have that can bring very deep technology, a lot of machine vision, a lot of big data, a lot of analytics. Um, in the past, it used to be um, scary that it would be very hard to work with the large corporations in these areas. I think we've seen over the last mainly three, four years that the automotive company, the insurance company, the retail companies are more than willing to work with these mm -hmm. early startups. Doesn't doesn't matter how early. Sometimes the earlier the better. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, they are they are to some extent concerned about maybe Amazon or some similar or, or right. high-end uh, companies. Uh, kind of reaching out and disrupting them, and we see two types of companies. One, companies that actually try to disrupt the incumbent, but the second ones, which actually we see more of, and it's the easiest to do, maybe not the, the, not the largest outcomes, uh, are ones that help them, help them create automation, help them um, uh, improve their processes to, to be able to kind of uh, progress to the next era of, of uh, customer experience and fighting these new uh, incumbents. And um, what are some of the highlights of your portfolio? Uh, okay, so uh, previous um, uh, interesting companies that we had the fortune to invest in were companies called CyberArk. It's a cybersecurity company traded in the NASDAQ today with valuation mm -hmm. of around $1.7 billion, uh, helping companies secure their um, privilege information, which is usually what hackers are looking after. Um, uh, another interesting company that we invested in early stages of this is a company called Solar Edge, which is a company mm -hmm. that creates technology for solar panels, also trading with over uh, $2 billion in the NASDAQ. Um, a third company that we had the fortune to invest, which was a very interesting ride, is Wave. Um, even though we don't do a lot of B2C, that was a very unique story that we thought yeah. uh, could end very well, and it actually did. Uh, if you look at our current portfolio, we this year we had a very interesting exit 
with a company that did cybersecurity for automotive. It's a company called Argus, which we funded only three years ago and was sold for um, uh, around $400 million to a uh, European uh, company. Um, you know, this is an interesting story because three years ago we were not sure even uh, amongst ourselves that cybersecurity for automotive is a real need. But it quickly, as autonomous vehicles became a real thing or just approaching to be a real thing, yeah. uh, the need kind of presented itself. And this was an amazing ride. Uh, it was shorter than we thought, <laughs> uh, yeah. but uh, we really like the company. And we're actually seeing a lot of other companies because the need is really big. Um, interesting. Now, if you look at the 2017, let's say, year, you know, 12 years of 2017, a couple of months of 2018, what trends do you see in your deal flow? Right. So, uh, and this may be a little bit, well, probably not unique to Israel. It's just that we, we see so many um, uh, deep technology-driven uh, companies. Okay. Yes. So uh, we see um, young entrepreneurs that don't necessarily have a lot of business experience, but come in from very, uh, very technology-driven experience, and they kind of say uh, they're able to now look at okay, what's interesting in the world? What are interesting markets to look into? They can spend two to three to four months exploring very deep exploration of the field and come up with some crazy ideas. And when mm -hmm. we see them the first time, it's pretty crazy. When we see them a month or two after, we're already competing after the deal with maybe two or three other venture funds. So the, mm -hmm. the cycles for, for the crazy ideas have become very quick. And we already, after investing in some of those companies and seeing what happens a year or two after, we're already seeing how quickly um, you know, the, the wild That's ideas right. are becoming reality, not only mm -hmm. because the technology allows them, which is obviously a big thing, because vision, um, you know, deep learning and vision, uh, those technologies are enabling stuff that we could, have, could not have imagined five years ago, but also because of the willingness of, as I mentioned, the large corporates to work with them, which is pretty amazing. So companies today, they can form, create the technology, which is pretty difficult, but you know, we, we can speed it up and can be within a pilot within two months of, sometimes they still haven't formed the company and they're already starting a pilot with a major corporation. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And that would probably be the one major trend we're seeing. And would that be in any particular sector, any particular technology area, or across the board in deep tech? Right. Yeah. So uh, if I look at the last three years, we've, we've invested in the three automotive and mobility-related companies, and we've seen that progress. You know, the large car companies from being very hard to work with, thinking with seven, eight-year cycles, have narrowed the cycles, are very quick to work with companies, are very eager to fund, and sometimes acquire companies. So that company, that is kind of the blueprint of what we're now seeing in beginning to see in insurance technology, even though that sometimes takes some time, depending on are you doing marketing stuff or are you trying to actually change actuary uh, numbers. Retail has become exactly that. There's some very interesting programs in Israel, which I'm sure uh, we can find similar ones in the other places, of large corporates creating commercialization programs, so not yeah. accelerators, but commercialized. So they're not, uh, so they would sometimes look for early stage companies, but sometimes late stage companies. Uh, uh, you know, Microsoft is a big one, um, uh, you know, the Microsoft Accelerator, which they've now changed to, to the, you know, the scale, I'm not sure of the exact name, the Accelerator. 
they're looking for companies who already have products but are very quickly willing to work with them and bring them very deep within the organization, also teaching them especially this, uh, teaching them who in the organization are the right people to speak to, which is sometimes the hardest thing for Very hard. Uh, a and a company time. like Microsoft is yeah. extremely hard. Not as much today, really. They've really changed, I mean, uh, definitely with Satya, but also kind of, and I think the accelerator is a big, you know, big um, uh, contribution to this, okay? We saw mm -hmm. it kind of firsthand. We know some of the folks who are running this program, they completely changed their view on how to work with startups about not mm -hmm. we are helping the startups, but we want to learn from startups kind of where is this thing going. And if they adopt our um, uh, products, then it's going to be pretty easy for us to then uh, sell it to the other one as well. But, but to go back to what I started, with, um, so retail has become extremely um, amenable to working with new companies. Retail companies, mm -hmm. which as far as Five, six years ago, we would not touch a retail-based company because we would say you would you would run out of money before you get your initial file. And that's completely changed, 180 degrees. Um, so that's one. Construction is beginning. You know, we're still kind of trying to figure out whether uh, it's working. But these are all in the emerging sectors. I'm trying to think within the enterprise software market, uh, the major trend there, uh, if I look at 2017, is actually that's actually a harder one because um, what we see is bigger companies today, you know, the Amazon and Facebook, those are becoming harder to compete with. You know, we're seeing the kind of speed that we are used to from startups with these large corporations. So we're not as likely to fund a small company doing a developer tool, you know, for Amazon serverless. I mean, there's plenty of other people doing it. We're not as uh, happy to do that because it's pretty scary. Uh, to see what these big companies are able to, to spin out in yeah. very quick uh, turnaround time. Hmm. Now, um, are you looking for billion-dollar cans only? Is that your sweet spot? Or are you also looking for companies that are working in more niche areas, perhaps with smaller TAMs, but with deep technology that can really be the market leader, maybe own 60, 70% of a market with a, you know, smaller TAM. Right. So our DNA is the billion-dollar TAM. Uh, okay. It's very hard for us to diverse from that. In some cases, we try to think whether do we really understand the TAM? Is it even possible to assume that? Or this is a, such a new market that it can be easily developed into that. And we we are okay with a two, $300 million outcome if it ends up being a smaller market than we thought. Uh, I can give mm -hmm. you one example. Yeah. Uh, and this is fairly recent, so it's maybe a biased example. So we invest in a company called Cryon. Uh, it is, um, is a company that does RPA, which is robotic process automation. Um, this is, um, many people haven't heard about it, even though it's kind of a big deal now with enterprise. The idea is that enterprise may want to cut costs and they want to do it by automation, okay? Mm -hmm. And they used to used to do it with with very long and costly business process management with large yeah. vendors like IBM, Software AG, and that. Uh, these would be very long and very hard to work with. And a lot of times the CFO says, you know, yeah, I'm going to cut costs, but it, take, it will take me five years, so I'm not going to see ROI within the next three years. So what RPA does is it says, let's look at all the manual tasks that each employee does. If you think about maybe an insurance company, think about someone taking the claim, copying it to another um, uh, you know, uh, ERP system, and then 
running a few emails. Most of that task, most 80% of that employee does is manual tasks that can be uh, done with a soft, with software. And the idea mm -hmm. is that it's hard to integrate to the software, legacy software system, and it's hard to replace them. So what RPA does, it mimics the worker, even sometimes being on the same machine, through the GUI layer. So it actually understands the GUI and it does it. And what you can achieve is with little integration, you can get, um, uh, you can increase the capacity and reduce error, okay? And then if, if this is a process that is customer facing, you can actually improve customer experience as well. And you got all of that with half the cost, half the time. This way, this was, uh, until two years ago, this was seen as kind of like a niche product. This is not real automation. It's maybe a pass-through um, uh, or a transient um, technology. But what we're seeing is because enterprise is so complex to really change, this can take a long time. And having a real solution that can automate stuff is something to stay. And this, we've seen the market grow very fast. But still, many of our counterparts believe that this is a small, it was, it was at the time, this was a year ago, estimated this is a two, three hundred billion dollar um, uh, TAM, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but what we're seeing, this is a 40, 50% growing, but also we're thinking this takes a big part of the, you know, seven, eight billion dollar uh, market of uh, BPN, okay? Mm -hmm. So we saw it's growing very fast. We didn't know exactly. And we're already, you know, eight months in seeing that uh, it's taken a, a, a big portion of it. So that's mm -hmm. one way of, of saying, you know, we really don't understand. A lot of people don't. Uh, you know, some analysts actually said that some didn't. So we're willing to take that risk. If the company, and the company was growing very, well, 100% a year over year. It's stuff that is very easy to see, but I know that a lot of other um, uh, VCs have, have kind of looked uh, and not invested in it because of town, simply. Yeah. Right, so right, and, and that's exactly where my question comes from, is that, <laughs> you know, we are in 2018, there's a lot of stuff that has already been built in all different areas of technology, so, the, so right now, there are not as many billion dollar opportunities, but there are many opportunities that are in that 200, 300 million TAM kind of range, and in a way, there are ways to make money of these opportunities, you build it up to a point and you then, you know, flip it maybe a little bit earlier than you would perhaps on the other side. You can do 3x, 5x on these deals. So my question comes from exactly that observation that, and, and, and some of the funds that we're talking to are, um, you know, kind of making that call is that, okay, we can do smaller TAM deals and we don't have to only chase unicorns. Because part of the issue also is that there are, you know, 700 seed funds, micro VCs and seed funds here uh, right now in the industry. If everybody's chasing unicorns, everybody's chasing billion-dollar market opportunities, there's just not enough of those, you know? So you have to find yeah. investment pieces yeah. to play. No, but once again, this is, I mean, this is very hard for me to say, and, I, I, and many people will not come out and say this loudly, but once again, so when we look at companies, I'm okay with that being kind of the, you know, um, uh, yeah. if, if two, three hundred million, okay, is the is the kind of safe bet. Once again, if the company succeeds, and obviously the percentage, but obviously I still need to return around four hundred and fifty million dollars to my investors. If okay. if I look at a company and I think I can get twenty, thirty million out of the best case, it's a hard thing for me to adjust. Of course, um, your fund size yeah. determines those. So there are. Yeah. 
um, and and audience, just to I know you are probably getting a little bit confused because this this discussion is quite sophisticated <laughs> from the point of view of how venture capital works. For um, you know, for a company to be interested in a 20, 30 million exit for a VC firm, they need to be a very small VC firm. But the, the point is, but there are a lot of those funds in the market right now. There are a lot of 15 to 30 million dollar funds out there who are structurally equipped to be able to do those kinds of deals. $150 million fund like Vertex is not in that category. So that's a, at the same time, you, uh, Yana, you can do stuff that an NEA cannot do because they're a, you know, billion plus fund. So, so yes. there, you know, there are each of these structural uh, points need to be taken into account entrepreneurs as you are thinking through your uh, investment raising strategy, the fundraising strategy. Okay. So, um, what uh, what are your other um, you know points that we haven't covered in this discussion today that you would like to communicate to our uh, community of entrepreneurs who may be interested in working with you, Yanai? Sure. So, I think one of the issues that we've seen uh, entrepreneurs grapple with uh, sometimes is the kind of the funding strategy. I I cannot stress enough that funding strategy is critical. You can get the right product. But you can get the right people, but if, if you kind of miss your mark, or even if you did exactly what you thought, you still might come and realize that you haven't raised enough to get you to the next round. And, and the absurd is, even though there's so much money looking for companies right now, as you said, each fund kind of looks at some things and, and, and is going, you know, is looking for certain things. So if you raise money, but not enough to get to the A, um, uh, that's yeah. a shame, okay? Uh, now, there's always solutions. There, you can always go to kind of second tier. And, uh, I mean, there's other funds out there. Uh, we also did sometimes, you know, we could do a post-seed or a pre-A if we really like the team, but it's not the natural fit. We kind of have these buckets that we really like, and it's a big part of the momentum. So I think what, a big part of what we want to do with entrepreneurs, if it's first time, as I mentioned, we do that, we kind of try to really plan out what's the funding strategy. Uh, if you actually still miss it, okay, or, or it just wasn't, or sometimes that's not the case. I mean, you want to raise two and a half million as a seed, but you can only get to one and a half. That's also okay. Uh, in that case, what I would recommend is looking for uh, companies that are, um, uh, instead of going after a big party round, if, once again, if it's, a, if it's a possibility, going after maybe one or two major investors, in which case they can uh, work with you and they kind of have the responsibility with you to carry you through, you know, that crunch, okay? So they can do a follow-on. Uh, they can uh, bring in some additional investors that count in them, okay? That's very critical, but because what sometimes what we see is, as an A-round company, sometimes we see companies that did two to three seeds, not a very good terms. They carry, you know, they gave out so many percentages. They already have some big convertibles on their balance sheet, which makes the A-round very tough. So instead right. of doing a five to seven with a 20 post, it can be 10 to 12, 30 posts just to get to the same percentages that we'd like to carry. So once again, this is not something that, so you focus on product market fit because that's really what it's about. But if, but if you did everything right on that and still kind of missed the funding, you, your outcome can, can change so much because then you have to settle on which type of investors you choose. So funding strategy is probably the one thing that I would recommend looking into very strong. And it's very complicated. Thank you, Yanai. That was a very um, interesting conversation. Thank you for participating, you. and hopefully we'll have a chance to do some stuff together. Thanks for having me.